0: Hello everyone and thank you for listening. It's been a while. Um I didn't post last week. I went out of town last Saturday to visit my grandmother and returned on Tuesday the 17th, and I just did not have enough time to put out an episode nor had I recovered from taking that much time off, so I was not really in the swing of things, but I'm back. And in this week's episode, I'm going to talk about Recent crimes. I'm going to start with two recent tragedies out of California that I'm sure you've heard of. On Saturday night, January 21st, a 72 year old man entered a dance studio in Monterey Park, California. This town is seven miles east of Los Angeles and approximately 65% of its population is Asian American. Earlier that day, thousands of people filled the streets celebrating the Lunar New Year. This holiday is described by the National Museum of Asian Art as, quote, "...a celebration of the arrival of spring in the beginning of a new year on the lunisolar calendar. It's the most important holiday in China, and it is also widely celebrated in South Korea, Vietnam, and countries with a significant overseas Chinese population." End quote. As the night went on, a lot of people went home, but some people wanted to stick it out and keep celebrating. At the Star Ballroom Dance Studio, roughly 100 people were still inside. A popular square dance song was playing, and patrons practiced their steps in the tall wall-length mirrors. Most, if not all, of the occupants and regular attendees were middle-aged to elderly. They knew it as a safe place to express themselves until 10.22pm, when shots started to ring out. A woman named Grace was in the back of the studio at that moment and recalled what she saw to the New York Times. No one dared to flee. We all got down to the ground, hiding wherever we could. No one could get out. I saw him, but I was far away and the lights were dim. I could not see his face clearly. Grace watched as several people near the entrance were shot before collapsing onto the wooden floor. After running out of bullets, the gunman was able to leave and return with more. After his presumably second round of shots, the gunman left the scene. With a Mac 10 pistol, he fired a total of 42 rounds. This gun is illegal to possess in California and was likely purchased in Nevada, according to investigators. The entire ordeal lasted roughly five minutes, but in that time, ten people were killed. Several people called emergency services once it was safe, and police responded quickly. Survivors and witnesses were questioned by police for hours, according to Grace, who didn't get home until 3 a.m. Sunday. As of 10 a.m. Tuesday the 24th, only four victims of the shooting have been identified, and on Monday, the number of victims rose to 11. Six women and five men were killed. This tragedy in Monterey Park marks the deadliest mass shooting in the U.S. since last May, in Uvalde, Texas, when 21 lives were taken, 19 being young elementary school children. After taking 11 lives at the Star Ballroom, the gunman wasn't finished with his plans. About 20 minutes after the shooting, he drove two miles north to another dance studio celebrating the Lunar New Year, called Lili, which apparently means come, come in Chinese. 26-year-old Brandon Shy, a coder, was working as the ticket man that night. His grandparents owned the dance studio. When the gunman entered, Brandon was sitting in the office just off the lobby. He heard the door swing open and close, then a strange noise that sounded like metal rubbing together. When he turned around, a semi-automatic assault pistol was pointed at him. Brandon told the New York Times, quote, He was looking at me and looking around, not hiding that he was trying to do harm. His eyes were menacing. These are some clips from interviews Brandon did with several media outlets where he explains what happened next.
1: Yes, he was actually aiming directly at me. But um, for some reason, the weapon, he he hadn't shot it yet. That was the scary part. When when he came in, he said nothing. His face was very stoic. The expressions were mostly in his eyes, looking around, trying to find people, trying to scout the area for other people. I had the belief that I was gonna die. Like my life was ending here at that very moment. But something something amazing happened, a miracle actually. He he started to uh try to prep his weapons so he could shoot everybody. But then it came it dawned on me that this was the moment to disarm him. I could do something here that could protect everybody and potentially save myself. Um but then, you know, he was also trying to retaliate against me. He was—he was hitting me. He was trying to bump me, trying to shove me aside. You—you you wrestled the gun away from him. Yes, that's and now, correct. And now you have the gun. Yes. And what is he doing? He is trying to come closer to me so that I would not be in a position to uh, do anything. But uh, I had the upper hand here because it seemed like he was a little bit exhausted from all the hitting he was trying to do. So in one shove, I kind of just pushed him away, and then sort of casu- not casually, but sort of quickly aimed the gun at him and shouted, I'm- "Go away! I'ma shoot! Get out of here! Go!" Are, and you, are you pointing the gun at him as you're saying? Yes, I was. Not not with two hands, but you know, I was directing him to leave with my other hand. And did he initially leave? Initially, no. He was. Contemplating for a moment, like he wanted to take the gun away. He wanted to fight for it. He wanted to stake his life on it. And this is when I realized I would have to shoot him if he tried it.
0: So after getting the weapon away and causing the gunman to flee, Brandon immediately called 911. He is rightfully being called a hero because if it wasn't for his bravery, more lives could have been taken. Officers were informed that the suspect was possibly in a white van. Within hours, a cruiser spotted a white cargo van driving near a strip of outlet malls. When they ran the plates, it didn't match the vehicle it was on, which caused suspicion. They pulled up close behind it, but before they could turn on their sirens, the van quickly cut into a nearby parking lot and stopped. Officers approached the van carefully, but before they could see inside, they heard a single gunshot. As a precaution, a perimeter was made and streets were shut down. A SWAT team came in and broke into the vehicle around 1 p.m. after repeated commands went unanswered. That's when they were able to peer inside and confirm that the suspect was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now we're going to move on to what we know about him so far. This 72-year-old man was born in Vietnam and immigrated to the U.S. in the late 80s. He married in the summer of 2001 and divorced five years later. That woman has since come forward to say that she and him met at the Star Ballroom, the building where he killed 11 people. According to a former friend, the gunman was a frequent attendee to the dance studio, at least he was several years ago. He often got into quarrels with other dancers, and these disagreements lasted for years. The man worked as a carpet cleaner for local restaurants, and during his free time, gave lessons at the Star Ballroom, and apparently at the Lai as well. Because of the gunman's close relationship to these two studios, investigators are starting to believe that Tran was targeting specific individuals. However, that hasn't been confirmed as of yet, at least at the time of this recording. Investigators also learned that on January 7th and 9th, the man had gone into his local police department, making bizarre claims. 80 miles east of Monterey Park, he lived in a mobile home park in the city of Hemet, According to police, the man claimed that his family was poisoning him and orchestrating a scam to steal money from him. On both days of the allegations, they told him to come back with evidence, but he never did. A search of his home turned up a rifle, several electronic devices, a large amount of ammunition, and quote, items that led detectives to believe he was manufacturing firearm silencers, according to the sheriff. As for a past criminal record, the only crime we know so far is that the gunman was arrested in 1990 for unlawful possession of a firearm. The gunman's age sticks out like a sore thumb. According to the Violence Project, the median age of a gunman in mass shootings in the U.S. is 32. The New York Times wrote, Mass shooters tend to target locations that are representative of the grievances that they have, says James Densley, the co-founder of the Violence Project. He added that mass shooters in school settings are often students. The Uvalde and Sandy Hook shootings were carried out by former students of the respective schools. While the average age of a mass shooter is in the early 30s, there are clusters who carry out shooting sprees while in their 20s and 40s, a reflection of how these attackers may be in transitional times, in which you feel like you don't fit in and violence follows, said Professor Dinsley. He called the gunman in Monterey Park an outlier in terms of his age. The overwhelming majority of mass shooters in the Violence Project report were men. This likely reflects the social pressure on males to be stronger, tougher, and have the final word, with the final word sometimes being violence, said Vicky Jensen, a professor in the Department of Criminology. And, tragically, this wasn't the only mass shooting to happen in California in a time span of less than 72 hours. Half Moon Bay is a small rural coastal town south of San Francisco. Here, on Monday the 23rd around 2:20 p.m., reports of a shooting from two separate locations came into police. The first call came in from Concord Farms, a family-owned mushroom farm. A 66-year-old gunman entered one location and fatally shot three workers. A fourth person was killed in a separate location on the farm. A fifth person was also shot, but is now recovering at the hospital at the time of this recording. The suspect then drove two miles away to a trucking company, where he fatally shot three more individuals. A little over two hours after the first call to police, authorities tracked down the gunman around 4.40 p.m. He was in his own car, in the parking lot of the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office substation. Apparently, an officer spotted him and tried to get him to come out, but the suspect was unwilling. There was also a language barrier because the man only spoke Mandarin Chinese. Officers eventually lured him out and arrested him without incident. As of now, there's been no official motive given by police. However, apparently the man did work at the mushroom farm he targeted first. In total, the gunman killed seven people, six men and one woman. Some victims were Hispanic, and others were of Asian descent, according to the New York Times. Authorities are still working to identify all the victims. And that's really all we know so far at the time of this recording. More details will definitely have come out by the time you're listening to this. This next case is in the news because the defendant recently agreed to take a plea deal. On June 25, 2020, a 17-year-old transgender girl was found deceased in her car, which was parked by a walking path behind a neighborhood. A passerby was the one to discover her body and call police. Brayla Stone, who'd been reported missing earlier that day, was pronounced dead at the scene, and her body was taken to the Arkansas State Crime Lab. Because of the visible wounds and no weapon in sight, it was clear that Brayla had been murdered. Soon after her death, an anonymous user on Instagram posted a picture of $100 bills. They claimed to have murdered Brayla for the cash, with the caption, Zipped for 5 k Money well spent. The post was deleted soon after, and police had no comment about its relation to the murder. The advocate news organization reported that it may have been an attempt to taunt trans activists. Four days later, on the 29th, a candlelight vigil was held at a local park in Little Rock. It was organized by the Center for Artistic Revolution, who posted this on their Facebook about the teen. Quote, Brayla was someone who always held space for others to be themselves and express their identities. Despite the fact that these institutions didn't support Brela, it is important that we uplift her memory and dedicate ourselves to seeking justice for her. She was 17 years old and her life was taken far too soon. We must put a stop to the violence against black trans women. We don't want another black trans woman's death to go unnoticed. End quote. Stone had turned 17 just three weeks before her murder. Tori Cooper of the Transgender Justice Initiative stated Brela Stone was a child. A child just beginning to live her life, a child of trans experience, a young black girl who had hopes and dreams, plans and community. As a nation, we failed Brela, as we have failed every transgender or gender nonconforming person killed in a country that embraces violence and upholds transphobia, racism, and homophobia. Roughly a week after the killing, an 18-year-old suspect was arrested, Trayvon Hayes Miller. His manager Lakia is one reason for his arrest. The day before Brayla's body was found, Trayvon was scheduled to work at Arby's. However, after not showing up, he called Lakia in a panic. He told her, I fucked up and I fucked up big time. And quote. I messed up and I won't be back for a very long time, if ever. Lakia tried to understand what her employee had done that was so awful, but Trayvon refused to say. He simply told her to watch tonight's news. Fortunately, as soon as she learned that a body had been found in Sherwood, Lakia called police to report what she had heard. This is one of the tips that led to Trayvon being arrested within a week of Brayla's murder. Interviews between Brayla and her killer's friends revealed a possible motive, and how the events leading up to the murder played out. The first key piece of information they learned was that Brayla was in a relationship with her killer, Trayvon Miller, and the day before her body was found, she told her friend Audrey that Trayvon had been cheating on her with a 19-year-old woman. This obviously caused Brayla to become upset, and Trayvon told her to meet him that same evening. Brayla drove to Trayvon's home so they could talk, and as she waited in front of his house, she spoke to Audrey on the phone. The last thing Audrey heard her friend say was, Here he comes. Five hours later, she received a text from Brayla's number that said something along the lines of, I'm not up for this. Aubrey informed the police that even though Trayvon and Brayla were in a relationship, he had been paying her to keep quiet. Why? Because Brayla is transgender. But like any teenager, you're going to tell your friends about who you're dating, so Brayla did not keep quiet. So now police know that Trayvon wanted to keep this relationship secret, he was one of the last known people to see her, but also, the location her body was found is significant. Audrey told police that this walking path was a place that Trayvon frequently took girls to have intercourse. Investigators then went to the 19-year-old that Trayvon was allegedly dating at the same time as Brayla to see if she had any important info, and fortunately she did. Tioni finally confirmed to authorities the motive they were searching for. Trayvon had told her that Brayla was going to quote, expose him, and he was afraid of being seen as homosexual by the community and this fear, in his mind, justified taking his own life, or taking Brayla's life. He made these comments in front of Tioni and her friend, Angela, but the two didn't take it seriously, apparently. Angela confirmed to police that the day before Brayla was found, she heard a phone call between Trayvon and Tioni in which Trayvon sounded stressed. Both women tried to call him down, but he was set on the idea of killing Brayla Stone. And then comes a statement from Tioni's cousin, Malik. He told police that he also heard the phone conversation between the couple. Not only that, but he also heard a phone conversation between them after Brayla was deceased. Malik heard Trayvon tell Tioni that Brayla was dead. So three people, not including the murderer, knew that Brayla had been killed and that she was possibly going to be killed, but none of them went to police. All of this witness testimony is clearly damaging evidence against Trayvon, but here's something significant I haven't mentioned yet. This isn't the first time Trayvon was involved in a murder, and that murder shared similarities to Brayla Stone's. On April 21, 2016, a 17-year-old boy was found deceased in his car in the parking lot of a recreation center in Sherwood. He'd been shot in the throat while sitting behind the wheel. An employee at the rec center discovered him around 2.30 that afternoon and initially believed it to be a suicide. The following day, the police department identified the victim as Brian Allen Thompson, a student at Sylvan Hills High. They also announced the arrest of three teens, 17-year-old Xavier Porter, 15-year-old Quincy Parker, and 14-year-old Trayvon Miller. The department said all three youths would be charged as adults with capital murder and aggravated robbery. Trayvon had attended the same school as Brian up until the spring semester, and the reason as to why he dropped out is unknown. Five days after the murder, 14-year-old Trayvon's charges were downgraded to first-degree murder. Everything about the case was sealed at first, because all of the teens were minors. The public didn't know Brian's cause or manner of death, but an incident report gave more information. The first officer who arrived on the scene observed, quote, what appeared to be a bag of marijuana in the floorboard between Brian's legs. The family of the victim told local news reporters that they were already in the process of forgiving the suspects. Quote, It's hard, but I know that I'm not ever going to be blessed if I don't forgive. I know that when you do forgive, you release the heartache from your own heart, and I don't want that in my life. In May of the following year, a now-16-year-old Quincy Parks accepted a plea deal from prosecutors. He pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and aggravated robbery. A judge sentenced him to 20 years in prison. According to prosecutors, Quincy is the one who fatally shot Brian outside the rec center. Apparently, he demanded money from Brian, then shot him in the throat. This happened, allegedly, when Brian was measuring the marijuana to sell to Quincy. In a letter to the court, Quincy wrote, All I remember was that I had smoked a lot of weed that day, and the drug had taken over my body and it's like I was peer pressured to do things from my co-defendant, and he said that if I didn't do it, he was going to get both of us. End quote. A now 18-year-old Xavier Porter was scheduled to start a jury trial two months later. Trayvon Miller, who was now 15, had already had his case moved to juvenile court. In exchange for a guilty plea in the robbery charges, Trayvon agreed to testify against Quincy and Xavier, and he wouldn't have to face murder charges of his own but Trayvon actually never had to testify because at the end of May, it was revealed that the capital murder charges against Xavier were dropped completely because the prosecutor believed it couldn't be proved. In court, Xavier admitted that he was the one who lured the victim to the scene in order to rob him. It was also revealed that he and Brian were co-workers at Texas Roadhouse, the same place Xavier was arrested the night after the murder. He also told the court, that he was the one who gave a 38 caliber revolver to 15-year-old Quincy, his cousin. Prosecutors believed that Xavier had actually left the scene before Brian was killed, and that's why they couldn't charge him with the murder. According to Quincy, after shooting Brian, he stole $15 but left his own bag of marijuana behind. Xavier was only charged with aggravated robbery and sentenced to 10 years in prison. So now that you know Trayvon's previous involvement with this murder, let's look at how it's similar to the killing of Brayla Stone. This is a description of how Stone's body was found, according to police. Stone had been shot through the head, with her body lying upside down on the front passenger floorboard, with her legs resting on the seat's backrest. The driver's side window had been broken out. Blood spattered the car's interior, with investigators noting a strong smell of bleach inside, along with discoloration marks from the clearing agent inside the car and on some of the contents. In both Brayla and O'Brien's cases, the killer fired the weapon from the passenger's seat, quote, which prevented a quick escape of the victim who was seated in the driver's seat, according to a detective. Trayvon was also very familiar with both locations these victims were killed, which were both close to his own residence, and quote, which would allow an easily undetected escape from the scene. Now we're going to flash forward to August of 2021. It's been over a year since Brelo's murder, and Trayvon has been in jail since his arrest. Trayvon ultimately decided to accept a plea deal from prosecutors and pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in exchange for a sentence of 50 years in prison. He won't be eligible for parole until the age of 53, so after spending at least 35 years in custody. If Trayvon hadn't accepted this plea deal, he would have been charged with capital murder and possibly sentenced to death. I didn't find any articles mentioning the weapon used in this murder, but Trayvon shouldn't have been allowed to access one in the first place. Not only because of Brian's murder in 2016, but an arrest in 2019, when he was roughly 17 years old, Trayvon was charged with robbery and second-degree criminal impersonation. He allegedly pretended to be a security guard in a Walmart parking lot, and attempted to rob two people. The Metro Weekly claims that he served time for this, and that before he was released, he was arrested again on a weapons-related charge. 17-year-old Brayla Stone was one of 44 trans people killed in the U.S. in 2020, all because the man she was dating didn't want the relationship to be public. And I know at the beginning of this episode, I said it was a recent case, but I totally thought it said 2022, not 2021, so it's not super recent, but still fairly recent. And that's about it for this episode. If you want bonus content, you can always become a Patreon member. I just uploaded an episode about Sandy Charles, who in the mid 90s was just 14 years old when he killed another child, all because of a movie called Warlock. The boy ends up recreating a very disturbing and grotesque scene in the movie because he ultimately thinks it will give him superpowers. So that's on the Patreon, and before I go, I want to give a special shout out to the new Patreon members. Thank you so much to Jackie, Varen Hotz, Courtney Roberts, Alyssa Lansford, Eat More Crow, and Amber Sherman. Thank you all so much for becoming Patreon members. I really appreciate it because besides some sparse Buzzsprout ads, which are just other podcasts paying a little money to get a shout out on my podcast, this podcast isn't monetized at all, so your support is really important. Or, of course, you can just share this episode or any of my episodes on your social media or to friends. If you have any case suggestions or you want to give me a correction on anything, you can also find a google form in the description below. And that's about it for this week, so I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.